Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in episode 31 of the Brilliant Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always a legend, Aaron Riley. Aaron, how are we doing? Uh, we're doing, man. We're doing. I'm glad to be here. Uh, could be a little bit better situation or, or scenario right now, but that, that's okay. Uh, I'm excited to talk some football, some gridiron. Always glad to be here. Uh, Aaron uh, surprisingly showed up to the show tonight, even though his Eagles uh, put forth a, a I would say forgettable effort on Monday Night Football against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. We'll certainly get into that off the top of the show. We'll get into sort of a tank update from the New York Jets, kind of where we stand uh, on the road to Trevor Lawrence and, and the eventual firing of Adam Gase. Uh, get an update on Derek Carr. Uh, you know, loyal listeners of this show will realize that uh, Derek Carr was one of the first NFL topics we ever touched upon way back when, uh, when we started this podcast. So eventually, uh, if you stick with us, folks, Derek Carr will eventually – um, you know, fall back down to earth as, as, as he does and as we know and love him. Um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, touch on sort of the Rona situation, play the NFL. Uh, Broncos had uh, no QBs uh, this weekend. Choose from in their game against the Saints, which is laughable that that would happen in an NFL game. And then uh, we'll touch on Kansas City's thrashing of Tom Brady down in Tampa Bay. But uh, let's get into today's topics. And now for today's topics. All right, folks, uh, you all watched the game, Monday Night Football, Philadelphia Eagles, Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Aaron is here to break all this down. We won't spend too much time on it, but, Aaron, I do want to yield the floor to you. Uh, talk about how the game went. Maybe talk about Carson Wentz. I'll pepper you with some questions on where the organization kind of goes from here. Aaron and I talking off air, um, kind of about Peterson, about the owner, Lori, about – Roseman about Wentz, um, kind of where we stand, and uh, maybe mix in a little bit of a Jalen Hurts talk if Doug wants to, you know, sort of throw him in there as a little teaser to spice things up at, at three seven and one. Aaron, why don't you sort of digest last night's game, give us your sort of, uh, you know, main bullet points of, of what happened, and then we can uh, sort of get into to where the Eagles go from here and uh, sort of see where they shake out the rest of the season. Yeah, so so a game that you know. I, I really didn't, you know, I, I wrote the Eagles off from the from the get-go, from the jump. I didn't think, you know, I thought, I honestly, I, I talked to a couple of people at work. Uh, I told them probably 32-20 Seattle. I, th- I thought this 32-17 type of score, I thought they'd win by like two touchdowns. Um, 
I was right there with the 17 points, uh, but the spread was obviously different than, than what I called. Um, I mean, overall, the, there were very few positives to take from this. I mean, I would say the defense held together for what or who the personnel is. I mean, I can't I can't hate they only gave up 23 points. Um, you know, it's it's always hard to to go up against Russell Wilson, whether it be Philly or or out there on the West Coast. That's just always a hard task. But at the same time, when when your quarterback is just you know struggling to to make any type of deep completions, I think you know if you look at the stat, Wentz was over five on anything over 20 or 25 plus yard passes. Um, just just miserable to watch. I mean, uh, on the offensive side of things, you know there were times where they they put a good drive together. Um, it was really the second quarter, right right at the end of the second quarter. Um, they put it. They put a pretty good drive together. I mean, the the tempo was good. Uh, Wentz was kind of coming to the line quick, just getting things done um, as far as executing first downs, driving down the field. But um, that pretty much that you know that wasn't all of their offense. But third quarter was pretty miserable. And then I mean, they scored some points in garbage time, which you know this game really wasn't even that close. Um, I don't know, just not not very good execution. Uh, from Wentz, I mean, he's 25 for 45, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, the pick was absolutely horrible. You can't make that throw. Um, <laughs> Wait, real, real quick, how about us? And we'll get into sort of the Monday Night Football booth and how <laughs> dreadful they are to listen. But how about when, when Wentz throws that pick? Quandre Diggs is the guy from Seattle safety who picks it off in the end zone. Steve Levy, legit, no bullshit, shouts out. And there's the interception, like you know, like almost we were waiting for it at home. La- laugh out loud, funny. Yeah, Steve Levy. I mean, I, I sent Daniel a text, uh, obviously off air last night, but um, just not not a fan of Steve Levy. Never was, and now know. even even less so after last night. I mean, I I just it reminds me of the days Tony Kornheiser was in the booth. Just you know, I'd rather watch paint dry than listen to that guy speak even one more sentence ever. But Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, just just kind of a painful uh, painful game to watch. I was kind of optimistic after the deep, you know, at halftime it was fourteen to six. I was like, ah, you know, we, we're not too far off. But whenever, you know, really the Eagles had nine points all game long up until that 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 scoring garbage time. Um, it felt like they had nine points. Like they just didn't execute well on offense. Uh, they didn't really go to the run game too too much. I mean, Miles Sanders six six carries for fifteen yards. They kind of abandoned all that. Uh, Boston Scott, they only ran twice. Uh, Wentz actually had the most rushing yards by far for five carries for 42 yards. Um, You know, I was excited to see Jalen Hurts in the game. You know, I got to see him one time throw the ball. So once again, you know, it's almost like uh, Doug Peterson doesn't care what he tells the media or or the fans of Philly because if you listen to them later in the week, uh, last week, they said Jalen Hurts would get some some playing time. I think Jeffrey Lurie was the Eagles owner was pushing for, for Hertz to get some playing time, which you, you didn't really see at all. Uh, you saw less playing time from him this game than, than notable other games this season. So that that's a question mark. I mean, I don't know who's making the calls there. I would say Doug Peterson is, but um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's week after week. This offense looks very forced. It looks uh, herky jerky. Like I told Dan, uh, it, it just doesn't look like it's flowing hardly ever. That drive they put together at the end of the second quarter was probably the best drive I've seen in, in weeks, honestly, just from a, um, a tempo point of view, um, just kind of like boom, 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 getting the end zone very quick and, and kind of give it to the other team aggressively 
after that, once again, they just they, they got away from that. They're they're running, you know, these these play calls aren't aren't beneficial to Wentz. The one time they rolled him out to the right, I think he did complete almost a twenty yard pass on that on that particular play. So um, it's play calling, but it's it's execution too. I mean, there are plenty of times that, that Wentz missed Dallas Goddard. Um, not wide open, but he definitely had a window to throw in, and he—I just think he's—he's he's overthinking it, he's forcing it, and and once again, it's going to result in an L, and and now they're three, seven, and one, and and not even in in the driver's seat of the hard, horrible, horrible NFC East. The NFC least, yeah. No, I think uh, we need to kind of take stock of of the Eagles' games, and I guess Wentz this season. And Seattle's definitely not a dominant team. I think. Their defense kind of, you know, self-explanatory. You know, they've been torched uh, this season time and time again. Uh, really have no pass rush outside of my boy or former boy in Jamal Adams as a safety. Uh, their, their secondary is pitiful in terms of coverage. They can't stop a fucking nosebleed. But uh, to only drop, I, you know, you said nine points, and obviously they had, they had 17 with that Hail Mary there in the last 30 seconds of the game. But for, lack, for, for I guess, the purpose of this show, for – to score nine points in, in, you know, almost four quarters is, is pretty pitiful. And, uh, you know, you said Wentz missing guys. I think he took six sacks. You mentioned off air he probably should have only had two or three. I think he's just, he's just in his own head right now. We talked about the regression from two years ago from – and maybe it was the injury. I feel like that injury a couple of years ago – uh, in the middle of his MVP campaign, definitely derailed uh, sort of him as a player. And then you have the whole uh, next season, him recovering from injury and, and the whole debate of, you know, do we stick with Nick Foles? Do we stick with Carson Wentz, who has probably gotten his head a little bit and probably derailed the organization more than, than people are probably willing to, to lead on. But this is probably the, you know, third or fourth game of Wentz that I've watched this season. And I, I have to say, I, and I, as, it pains me to say this, but, Aaron and I can sort of commiserate here with our lack of good quarterback play. It's just, I'm not seeing a, a superstar. I'm not seeing a top 10 guy. I'm not seeing a top 15 guy. And, um, and we talked, Aaron and I talked off air about building teams, uh, you know, effectively in, in the NFL takes a, a competent and qualified GM. It takes a, a good coach and it takes a, a, an elite to good above average quarterback. And, um, you know, I guess if you want to run back the same three, if you're the owner and Jeffrey Lurie, I, that, that to me might kind of be the definition of insanity, um, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, so to me, one of those three has to go. I know the Wentz contract situation, as you alluded to, Aaron, a couple minutes ago is tough. He doesn't start that deal, doesn't kick in until the start of next season. Uh, I saw on Monday Night Football, they showed a couple of graphics that said if they were to cut Wentz and, and he would not be on the roster leading into next year, uh, they would owe – I think he would count like $60 million against the cap or something like that. So yeah, really, if you want to get rid of him next season, the only really route to go is a trade or, you know, I don't know, he retires, which he won't do obviously, but – uh, really only you have to you have to have a partner really to take on that contract and maybe you do you know there's a lot of times where um, and I saw it for years with the Jets that you know we'd get desperate and you know a reach reach for a guy in the draft or b you know, go over go go after that old veteran free agent you know maybe like the Viking City Kirk Cousins so you never know but I you know I think after the, after the deal kicks in um, it definitely gets a little bit lighter on their books but still you're kind of left with Wentz uh, next year unless you can find a trade partner and then 
you mentioned Dougie P, um, him always choosing to be aggressive. And I'll let you touch on some of the things you've heard in the media on, on his just willingness to, to be in Philly. And I do think we mentioned it last week as well. Howie Roseman, the GM, definitely is to blame for some of this. I think uh, going back three years, obviously, you know, replicating that Super Bowl-type roster is tough to do on a year-to-year basis. Uh, but you have to think three years after a Super Bowl win to only be getting three wins and you're, you know, 12, 13 games into a season is obviously pretty tough to, to sell to a fan base who is expected to win under a guy like Andy Reid. Obviously, had a little bit of a drop off under Chip Kelly, but Doug Peterson brought them back to the promised land, obviously. And, um, you know, to only be, to, to only be you know, three wins into your season and be behind. Uh, you know, teams like the Washington football team and the New York Giants and the state of those organizations is definitely tough pill to swallow. But, uh, yeah, I kind of feel for you, man. It, it was definitely tough to watch that game, I can imagine, as an Eagles fan. But uh, at least we have each other. <laughs> yeah, we're 2020 has not been um, spectacular. I'll say not that. our year. Not our year. For, for tons of reasons. But Good year for the podcast, but not our year football-wise. No, I mean, we, we launched it, and, and it's been a – a downward spiral for our teams ever since but hey <laughs> I mean that, that's just that's the you know that's where we are in in our lives as far as football fans I mean that's just you know it's a, it's always a tough pill to swallow I mean it's been a while since uh since the Eagles have been this it's just I, I remember they were five and seven at one point last season and and it, it was depressing to watch but they were right. they were kind of they were making the most of, of the situation as far as like they would just rise to the occasion and, and play with at least a lot of almost heart and grit and everything else you want to say uh, that comes along with that. But this year, it's just like it, it's like I told you. I mean, it it looks it's like they're trying so hard and just to get a first down at times. It's it's right. like I don't know. There's a lot to it, but um, yeah, like you alluded to. I mean, that you know, this will kind of wrap things up here. But um, you know, they they kind of showed. Um, throughout the, the Monday night football broadcast, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. I mean, some of the graphics were kind of corny. I don't know how you feel about that. So but corny. When they had like the Wentz wagon, I mean, that was like, yeah. straight, it looked like Toy Story or something. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with those animations, but that's besides the point. ESPN's going downhill for a while, but um, at the same time, uh, with, with, with all that going on with, with the drama in, in that organization, I think, you know, if you're Jeffrey Lurie, he, he's, he's definitely not pleased. I mean, I think he's on the verge of firing somebody. And, and I think, you know, I, he's not the type of guy, you know, I've followed this team pretty much my entire life. Um, he's not the guy to really publicize, you know, when somebody's going to get fired, they're kind of, it's always behind the, you know, behind the scenes and, and that's how they operate. But, I think for sure he, he's on the verge of – it's either Howie or Doug or both, I think. Um, they showed Howie Roseman almost close up his, like, uh, I don't know if it was like a notepad or a briefcase, some type of, you know, whatever he had brought to the uh, stadium last night. And he closed that up. It was, I think, early in the fourth quarter. Um, you could tell he was defeated. You can tell he's – I think he's very nervous. I think that's a guy that – it's funny. I, I feel for him in the fact that he – he started with that organization, I want to say as like, I don't want to say athletic trainer, but he, he was like low on the totem pole and he worked the whole way up to GM. And, oh, and wow. I definitely can respect that. And that's a guy that, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, I was extremely happy for him just be, because of the story and, and you know, the willingness to, to stick with one franchise and, 
and stick it out and work your, you know, work your way up to the top. I, I like that. And especially that being my team, you know, that's, that's a story I'm going to root for, but at the end of the day, it's execution. And, and what I really wanted to touch on it, it's, it's funny, you know, you bring up DJ Metcalf. That was a guy the Eagles worked out. <clears throat> that's a that's a guy the Eagles worked out, um, you know, prior to him getting drafted by Seattle. Now, a lot of teams did, did pass on him, but I, I'm not going to let that be an excuse only because um, the Eagles uh, the Eagles picked J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who's been absolutely, um, you know, worthless. Let's just put it, you know, <laughs> be straight up. Um, not a guy that's been productive. I think he has 200 yards total in his – and this is his third season. Um, you know, D.J. Metcalf was, is just torching everybody. So they missed on him. Uh, you bring up Justin Jefferson. Once again, a, a guy that, you know, is doing very well at the at the next level. I don't think Jalen Rigger is an absolute trash can by any means, but <laughs> I, I see him being like uh, a poor man's like Ted Ginn Jr. at yeah. best. I just – I don't see him being – he doesn't have the size. He doesn't – I mean, he's quick, but, um, you know, the only way I see him making a major impact is if he can get – you know, if he can run past somebody and just throw bombs to him and – with the with the ineptitude of Wentz right now and the and the offensive line being in shambles, you know they don't have enough time to throw a deep bomb downfield most of the time, or you know it, it just doesn't work for one reason or another. Like I said with Wentz, so um, just just a lot of like you alluded to. I think Howie Howie Roseman has to go. I think that's not even a question at this point. Yeah. Um, you, if you look at the ro- roster construction, half these guys probably shouldn't even be playing out there. I mean. The, so many people on defense, it's like like they've had Avante Maddox as a corner for years. He gets torched almost every game. Um, I mean, I can't put too much on Darius Slay. Yeah, he could have played better, but, you know, Metcalf is a problem right now. So, um, you know, yeah, he could have played better, but, but you know, he Metcalf got the best of him. That, that is what it is. But, um, like, Avante Maddox, Jalen Mills, these guys aren't exactly superstars and or even close to it. And then – you know, you, you look at Seattle and, you know, I'm, I'll bring up a name that you, know, might, you might not like too much, but th- they went out and got Jamal Adams. I'm not saying that was, I'm not saying that the Eagles should have done that, but you know, that guy's a playmaker and it's like, where yeah. are the, where are the playmakers on this team? I, it's far and few between if any at, at this point. So G- GM probably, probably has to go. I think, like I said, Howie Roseman's losing his mind, tearing his hair out at this point. So it's either going to be the GM and the coach or the coach and not the GM or, but I, I know, I know we're ahead of uh, you know some firings and and things are going to change because I can just see the disgust on Jeffrey Lurie's face. It's it almost depresses me to to watch um, you know just these these people be so inept and, and be so um, just lost. I mean, this team is lost right now. So that is what uh, it is. If you if you combine the Eagles and the Jets roster, would they win the NFC East? Uh, I mean. Maybe I, you know, maybe I take Flacco over uh, over Wentz right now. I, I hate to say it, but I mean, I I'd try it out. I mean, I would I definitely try it out before I. I just, Wentz is not getting the job done. So, all all these people that were saying, you know, you can't put Hurts in there. That's gonna that's gonna break his confidence and that's gonna shatter his confidence. I mean, if the guy never gets playing time, that's gonna shatter his confidence. I think right. him watching Wentz struggle as much as he does, I think. You know, he, he. I'm sure the thought goes through his head. I could, I could lead this team a little bit better. I mean, if if he doesn't think that, I don't want him on my team. Let's put it that way. So, you know, um, I, maybe with with some pieces from the Jets, some some pieces with the Eagles combined. I mean, this is the worst division in football, and <laughs> it might be possible. 
Yeah, no, and the, re- the reason I bring up the Jets, and it's it's funny because out of the three quarterbacks, I guess, Flacco, Darnold, and, and Wentz, I'd probably take Joe Flacco over <laughs> two, which which to me, I guess, kind of sums up our year, kind of sums up 2024. I said I would be taking a 45-year-old, it seems like, Joe Flacco <laughs> over two young stallions that you know, were supposed to have big years uh, c- coming into the season. But, yeah, let's uh, – I feel like it's a good transition over to the Jets, uh, but by no by no surprise it is 0-11. I think last week, like an idiot, uh, I said that you know Sam Darnold would probably play, and I was a little bit worried about the Miami Dolphins uh, potentially folding and uh, giving the Jets their first one of the season. I could not have been more wrong. Um, Tua didn't play, I think, which actually helped the Dolphins. Uh, Fitzpatrick is still Fitzmagic, still doing his thing. Uh, didn't, didn't see much of Fitzpatrick yesterday, which was was good for me. Obviously, rooting for. The loss, I guess. Uh, they lost 20-3. to three. Uh, The Jets are really never in the game. Um, outside of one drive, uh, really didn't do much. Darnold had two just atrocious, atrocious interceptions that how, – how a guy makes those – I mean, legitimately run – he was – the first interception, he's running out of the pocket on the move, which he can, he can pretty much, you know, throw from his left, throw, throw from his right on the move, like with ease, like he's pretty athletic like that. He's running towards the right sideline, throws across his body, back into traffic, back in, back to a receiver who's double covered, right into the chest, splits the numbers of a Dolphins cornerback. <laughs> they take it the other way for, for a decent game. To make that decision in year three is just mind-boggling to me. This was the first start of the season for Darnold in which he had his top three receivers playing, Brashad Perriman, Denzel Mims, Jameson Crowder out of the slot were all healthy for the first time uh, and playing with, with Sam Darnold. Um, so to me, going into this game, I was pretty confident that he put up some numbers. I, I, I didn't think they would win. I thought I was a little nervous. I thought they maybe could squeak, squeak out a close one. But uh, to, to throw up three points, I think it's an indictment on Darnold. It's an indictment on Gase. Uh, it, you know, maybe if you're on 11, it's kind of tough to get up for games like this. So maybe it's a sign of the players kind of packing things in. But End the season, uh, get Darnold out of my face. I mean, I, I was, I've been a Darnold guy since he got in the league. I have his jersey, for Christ's sake. He's the first guy on the – first player in the Jets. I've been jersey for since Mark Sanchez. Uh, if I have your jersey, you're my guy, ride or die. But uh, at the end of the day, if you're not bringing me wins, you got to get out of my life. So, Darnold, you're a nice guy. I was hoping you'd kind of come back and show me that these next six games that – have something I never thought that you would stay here over a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields um, since the top one or two picks is, is pretty much all, all but confirmed for us I've never I never thought you'd st- stick around past this season but at least uh, thought you would show that you're actually the third year quarterback and can make some smart decisions for for once in your career but you kind of look worse than you did your rookie season so uh, that's a tough assessment of where I stand with Sam Darnold but uh Kind of is what it is. Gase is an atrocious play caller. The only reason he has a job is because they're losing and they want to tank for Trevor Lawrence. Um, and, and the owners, for some reason, want to give off this, I guess, uh, persona that they're not, you know, a quick trigger organization. They're not quick to, to fire their guys at the first, you know, sign of disaster. But to me, fire the guy in the next couple of weeks, get a head start in the coaching carousel. If you take a look at some of the other teams, you know, the Jaguars just fired their GM. The Lions just fired their coach and GM. These teams are starting to fire off uh, some of their staff. So 
why not get a head start if you if you put Greg Williams in charge of the organization, in charge of the team? They're not going to win a game. Uh, so to me, get a head start. Uh, if you have to dip into the college ranks, do some searching there, do some recruiting there to to get your, your next head coach. Fine, I don't give a shit. Do what you got to do. Give me a leader of men uh, that can actually walk in the room, put his balls on the table, and lead a team to victory. I'm done with Gase. I'm done with Darnold. I'm done with his season. Uh, just a pitiful effort, uh, and, and, and you know, kind of another chapter in a pitiful season. Hey, man, I, I've by no means have I tried to tell you. I, I just I look at the Jets like they, and I and I think you. I mean, you touched on it. Um, they need a guy that has balls. Like I, that's why I keep alluding back to the Rex Ryan days. That's when I think that yeah. team. You know, other teams respected them. Now. You know, I, I myself have never been, you know, you, you you watch a million times more Jets football than I ever have, probably ever will, maybe. But hopefully um, you don't ever watch the Jets that much. <laughs> hey man, I, I remember when they were when they were making playoff runs, I was rooting there with you because yeah, I'm always I'm always a fan of the underdog. And oh, yeah. I mean they got the same color as the Eagles, so fuck it, why not? Facts. But um I I I just think I swear to God, and I stand by this, if I was running a team, I would never draft a quarterback from USC. None of them have worked. <laughs> um, I mean, you go back you go back to – in our lifetime, I mean, it's been Matt Leinart. Everybody yep. said Matt Leinart was going to be good. Has Never did shit. Horrible. Uh, Matt, Bur- Matt Barkley, horrible. Mark Sanchez, horrible. Um, you know, the list goes on. Sam Darnold hasn't done much. Like, it's it just – like, show me one guy from USC that's been a stud in the last 20 years, I'll be shocked. Like I, I, I guess Carson Palmer, but even you know, I mean, he, he wasn't never, like anything special. No, like I'll, I'll take. I, I don't know. I just, I don't. I just, I'm a believer and don't draft a USC quarterback. That's just, that's my. It might sound stupid, but I, I, I see it every time one of them gets drafted. I'm like, yeah, he'll be average at best. Once again, that's that looks like what Sam Darnold is up to this point. Not saying he can't succeed, but obviously he needs to to prove you know, what he can do at this point. So, um, yeah, yeah, I feel for you, man. This was, this was a game where I figured they'd have some type of chance. I mean, Miami's defense has kind of, you know, uh, arrived, I would say. It's definitely gotten significantly better. But um, I, I kind of allude back to, you know, Flacco lit up. What was it, the Patriots, right, just a couple of weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, he, uh, he played well against the Patriots and then – uh, they play shit. Gee, I can't remember who they played last week. Uh, it's it's gonna escape me. He, he I mean, uh, he put up a yeah. He put up a. a Perriman had two touchdowns. He had a long bomb against the Patriots. Chargers. Yeah, yes, Chargers. yes, sir. It was the Chargers, and then again he threw a bomb to Perriman. Uh, I mean, with him, it's just like he's not even doing anything special. He just kind of it kind of reminds me of honestly how Nick Foles used to play with the Eagles. He would sit back there. Uh, you know, ingest the play call, find the read, find the preferred read by the coach. If he's not open, great, move on to number two. If he's open, boom, fire him the ball, move the chains, and get going. It's not like he's trying to get out of the pocket. He's not freaking out every time, uh, you know, a defensive end gets within a yard of him. He's right. all yeah. cool and collected, makes the right play, makes the right decision. You know, doesn't have a lot of arm talent, doesn't have a lot of athleticism, but has what it takes to play you know, quarterback at the next level in between his ears. And it's probably the most important trait you can have as an NFL quarterback. Yeah. My, uh, I mean, I, w- I remember I was talking with a lot of Eagles fans when, when the whole Foles um, Wentz discussion went down and everybody was saying, Oh, you can't, you can't bring them both back. And I said, 
I think you should either franchise Foles or franchise Wentz, sign the other one to a one-year deal, and that should be a competition. And everybody thought I was an idiot. But, you know, <laughs> you, you, go, you go balls deep on one of these guys like, like the Eagles did with Wentz. I mean, look, look at the state of the organization now. Like, right. you can't – to me, I, I don't care how much talent the kid has in the, in the, in the world. I mean, I think, you know, Wentz probably has more talent than Nick Foles, but guess what? We have one Super Bowl, and the reason we won that Super Bowl was Nick Foles. So I would definitely ride with the guy that, that got me there, that got it done, that beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Like, I, I, I don't care. Like, yeah, that like, Darnold would have the upside, obviously, with the, you know, young, he's a younger guy, talented. He has the potential. But when you, when you insert, like, Joe Flacco in that same system, and you see it work a lot better, that tells me that Sam Darnold is the problem. Like, it's – to me, it's not that complicated. Like, I, I don't know. To me, it's – whoever is getting the job done, and, and not to say Flacco is, the, you know, the guy going forward, but at the end of the day, like, that should prove a point. Like, it, it's almost like Darnold's working against himself, where Flacco, he comes in there, he's got nothing to lose. Yeah, he's got less pressure on him, but it's about execution. Like, he put up 28 points against the Chargers, and he put up – 27 against the Patriots to, you know, you look back at these games that, that Darnold played, 10 points against the Jets. They didn't score any against the Dolphins early in the season, 10 points against the Cardinals. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it just, like, at some point you got to cut bait and you got to realize, you know, we, we if if they can get a younger, you know, if they can get a Trevor Lawrence, that might be, you know, the, the Darnold experiment might might have benefited them in, you know, moving on and, and doing a lot better for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think that they have a better chance of losing out with Darnold in there than, than Flacco. And, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to trade Darnold at the end of the season, it, it honestly might make more sense to, to hey, you know, that shoulder's not doing very well. Like, shut him down for the rest of the season. Maybe you can get a third-round pick, a second-round pick, whatever it may be. You know, I, I think I said a couple weeks ago when he was hurt, you could probably get a first-rounder for him. I think that's securely out the window. Maybe you get a third I don't know. I'm not a GM, but, uh, you know, I think at, at this point, if you want to shut him down, go with Flacco, uh, save him for next season. Maybe there's a team out there like the Bears. Uh, maybe he sits behind Big Ben for a season. Maybe, uh, you know, he sits behind Phil Rivers for a season. Maybe there's a team out there uh, that gets desperate, sees a guy. Maybe they had a high draft grade on Darnold a couple of years ago. Maybe it's the – I, I, I read a, a couple of New York beat uh, reporters tweeting about uh, the Broncos and how L.A. had such a high grade on Darnold coming out of the, uh, coming out of the draft in 2018. And um, if he was there for their pick at five, they would have for sure taken him. So maybe they move on from Drew Locke and, and take on Darnold for, you know, a season or two and see if they can resurrect his career that way. But – uh, to, to me, might as well sit him down, you know, keep that trade value sort of where it is, maybe leak to the media that he's dealing with an injury <laughs> so we can get those storylines flown and get some decent draft capital and, and kind of move on move on to a new chapter. And, and, you know, if it gets a Trevor Lawrence, if it gets a Justin Fields, uh, you know, Darnold would always be a part of, of that footnote. And I'll be grateful that he kind of sucked this year to <laughs> – to get one of those two guys since they seem to be the consensus top two picks coming out. But, and just to touch on the coach thing pretty quick, like I hate, I hate how the media is always talking about the new young hot offensive coordinator out there and his team's put up a million points. Like every time someone's associated with Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, they always have to get a job. Like I don't give a shit if you're able to call plays for the, the Washington football team and put up points. Like if you can't lead a team, if you can't communicate effectively, if you can't effectively teach your players, if you can't effectively 
get the most out of your players on a, on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, and you're not going to coach my football team. Like, if you have to dip into college, if you, have, if you have to dip into the defensive coordinator ranks, if you have to get a guy who coached the NFL the past few years and is looking for another job, like, I just want a leader of men, someone, like I said earlier, who has the balls to lead an organization from top to bottom, who's going to have his hands in the offense. He's going to have his toes in, in the defense. He's going to have a part in special teams. Like, someone who's involved – top to bottom from this football team, maybe someone who has a say in, in some personnel matters as well to get his type of player in the building, maybe a guy who's who's bigger on intangibles, maybe a guy who's bigger on character um, to really change the chemistry that has plagued the Jets the last, you know, 20 plus years. I'm looking for a guy who can just come and be, be a catalyst. And, and you mentioned Rex Ryan. He was that guy for a couple of years. And then um, they had some pretty bad GMs, um, you know, towards the end of his Jets tenure that kind of led him astray and um, didn't give him the players that he needed to, to win on a week-to-week basis. So I do think I, – I like Douglas. You know, he obviously came from the Eagles and the Howie Roseman, I guess, GM tree. I think he had a good first draft. Obviously, it's kind of tough to evaluate a rookie class, you know, five to six months after the draft happens. But, you know, they got a good left tackle and back in Mims, the, the second round receiver seems to be decent. They have a couple of their guys who can provide depth. So if you have, if you have your, your evaluator and personnel guys, GM, you know, the next step is the coach. And then after that's a quarterback. So if we can lock up those two things in this off season, I think I do like our chances moving forward. I like our outlook as a franchise moving forward, but uh, you know, those are two pressure-packed decisions that have to go right. And, but if they do go wrong, your, your organization is probably set back for another five to ten years. Yeah, it, it's – you know, you're exactly right. I, lo- I look at it like if you miss on on a head coach, obviously like a Adam Gase, and now you're looking at, at the Eagles in, in the situation they have with Doug Peterson, um, you know, it, it, it affects more than it, – it, no matter what you believe as far as how talented your, your players are and what have you, like calling the right plays at the right time. I mean, I look at, I think Tennessee is like the prime example of how coaching and how a mindset of, of a, of a leader and, and how a guy can, can unite the troops at like a Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Like he yeah. walked into that organization. That organization was garbage. I mean, that, that team was trash and like the way they play now. I mean, yeah, I know they're, they're, run hat you know they're a run heavy team and and having Derrick Henry is obviously a good thing but um they just play differently than they used to play as far as from a physicality standpoint from uh just the you know they've that team seems to have drafted very well they're, they have good receivers now they they've built themselves up from I remember the Marcus Mariota days where you know they were winning five six games a year and and kind of like in a in a jet situation where it was so bad for so long that you know something had to give they had to hire the right people and it seems like they've done that i mean they they went to the championship excuse me the 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 championship game last year uh, the AFC championship and, and you know it's not like they you know were very close to the chiefs but you know right. they they at least got to that game and yeah. and that's something for an organization that no one thought had a chance in hell of beating the Patriots and then, and then going on the road and beating the Ravens. So um, it really shows you if, an, if you pick right and, and you start to get things moving in the right direction, you know, anything can, anything can really happen. Um, but, but like you said, I mean, they got to hit on the right people. And, you know, I think no matter who, who you talk to and, and, you know, how, how much of an expert you are in the draft at the end of the day, you, you got to have some luck. I mean, you can draft a guy with, 
you know, A's across the board and, and he'd be an absolute flop. So, you know, hopefully for, for Jets fans and, and I know, you know, for you personally, I, you know, I, I wish the best for you because it's not been easy and, you know, if they can, if they can execute in the draft and execute on, on hiring the right guys, you know, that, that can make all the difference in a team that's, that's struggling, you know, to say the least to, to, you know, being a playoff team, you know, in years to come. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's very well said. I, I, I can't wait for the day where we're on this podcast, whether it be next season, a couple of seasons from now, just dissecting back-to-back wins for the Jets and Eagles. And we're talking about, oh, you know, Trevor Lawrence threw this touchdown pass or whoever the Eagles quarterback is played really well, you know, read the defense perfectly. But yeah, maybe it's Jalen Hurts and, and Miles Sanders taking them back to, to where the Eagles are used to being up to the top of the NFC. But I can't wait for the day. Um, where we can just talk about competent football teams for once instead of having to talk about the future and all these question marks that surround uh, both of these football clubs. But uh, I think it's a good transition to just talking about question marks. I think uh, we wanted to get to some more of the the coronavirus news. Obviously, uh, you know, the the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game has been postponed for a third time, actually going to be played Wednesday afternoon at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, The Broncos, you know, couldn't play with any of their quarterbacks, had to throw a uh, practice squad wide receiver, former college quarterback out there uh, against the Saints. Um, But you've had some issues earlier this season with the Patriots having to play without Cam Newton. Uh, The Ravens might potentially play without Lamar Jackson. So I wanted to basically kind of touch on, on sort of how the NFL has handled this. I think it's, to me, it's kind of bullshit that that the Broncos had to go out there and play. Um, with the three quarterbacks sidelined and and, you're, and they're bending over backwards going through, uh, you know, hoops and, and making leaps and bounds to try to get Pittsburgh and Baltimore to play. Uh, to me, I think it's kind of unfair, kind of Bush League, that the National Football League would would sit three quarterbacks. And it, it almost kind of reminded me of, of, of backyard football games back in the day at recess and school and stuff like that when you had, you know, everyone, everyone on the side out there wanted to play quarterback and, you know, to have a, have a guy that played this guy named Ken, Kendall Hilton or something like that, he, he was actually working a job in, in finance last month. They signed him in the practice squad because they needed bodies for, for the wide receiver room. Turns out he played college quarterback. They throw him in there. He throws like throws like nine passes, completes two of them. It's just an absolute joke of a, of a game for the NFL to put out there. So uh, do you think that – you know, the NFL is kind of playing favorites with, with their marquee teams and their marquee matchups. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens are a lot better this season than, than the Denver Broncos are. But to me, I don't think you should play favorites. I think that game matters. I think just the fact that the Broncos, they, they obviously had the opportunity to forfeit but didn't. I think that shows a lot of heart, shows a lot of courage, shows a lot of commitment to to the team and, and to the to the league that, that the league did not in turn display back to them. So, do you think uh, the Broncos sort of have a right to be pissed off? And, uh, you know, how far, I guess, could this spiral if we keep seeing these COVID issues pop up, you know, on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, no, I'll touch on that briefly. Two things I want to bring up with that. I mean, I think, you know, whoever, uh, you know, you brought up his name, I'm drawing a blank. Ken- yeah, Kendall Kendall Hilton. Um, I know how, how nervous do you think he was before that game? Just real shit quick. Shit in his pants. Shit in his pants. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, you know, they're telling you, hey, you're you're going to start your first game. You haven't played quarterback since, what, uh, college. Um, and you're going to get, you know, the Saints are not one of those teams where, um, you know, they're 
they're not jello. Let's say that. I mean, they, they hit pretty hard no matter who who's on the other side of the ball um, year to year to year under Sean Payton. That's a physical team. So uh, more power to him. I mean, played like absolute like a dumpster. But, you know, what can you really expect? Um, as far as like I'm, I'm kind of missing the mark on like what I know what. So one of them tested positive at first. And then I, I got to get the whole story real for, quick uh, for which for the Broncos for the Bron- Yeah. The how that how that situation came about. I th- so I think, yeah, the, 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 the third string quarterback, Jeff Driscoll, uh, he they went into a meeting uh, in the quarterback room. Obviously, the NFL had, had said last week or two weeks ago now that all meetings, all positional group meetings were going to be virtual for the foreseeable future just due to, you know, the spike in cases throughout the country, not just in the NFL. Um, they actually gone into the building, the three quarterbacks. It was Jeff Driscoll, Blake Bortles, um, and Drew Locke. They went into the building. You had an in-person thing. On video, they caught, um, I guess, all three of them had taken their masks off within the facility. Turns out a couple days later, Jeff Driscoll tests positive. Bortles and Locke both tested negative, but the NFL still ruled um, that they couldn't go. Uh, And then today or or yesterday, I believe, they tested negative again. So all three of them are actually eligible to play this weekend. But even though they were testing negative sort of leading up to and after the game, uh, they still weren't allowed to play just just because of potential exposure um, from, from Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I get the point, and, you know, you can argue the mask thing all you want um, as far as, like, you know, does that really stop coronavirus or not? We're not we're not a not a medical show. I'm not going to pretend like I know more than, than Fauci by any means. But um, for them to, to for them to report, they took their masks off inside the building. I just think that's hilarious. Like, that that's the year we're living in right now. That yeah. That's an actual report. Like, how do they even find – I don't even know how they find that out. I mean, I guess I guess some type of camera footage, but just Maybe the, the fact that it was like, we're like, hey, like, is this okay? And then the NFL was like, no, you know, I, I, I just don't see why the Broncos would like have to report that. Or maybe since Jeff Driscoll tested positive, they felt like, oh, shit, like, by the way, you know, Drew Locke and Blake Bortles were coming out of this meeting, too, and didn't have their masks on, like. To me, that's kind of like a self-report almost. Like someone within the building would, sure. would have to report that themselves. I don't know how the NFL would get access to that. My, my whole thing is like, yeah, I, I get, you know, I get the potential exposure thing. I understand that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you can't tell me that just last night, like the – okay, so the just for example, the Eagles and Seahawks are playing. All the players on the field are negative. You can't tell me at the start of the game all of them are negative on – Special teams, defense, offense on on all all the levels of the game on both teams. You can't tell me that all those players are negative. I just don't buy that. Um, there's way too many people that involved there. So so you take that and then and then what's what's so funny to me and what doesn't make sense and hasn't made sense to me all year is it's not like they're wearing masks while they're tackling each other. Okay, so they're they're sweating all over each other, spitting on each other. You know bleeding on each other, everything. Bodily fluids are going every which direction. And then they go to the sideline and they put a mask on. Like, how beneficial is that? Like, <laughs> I, I, I get what they're trying. They're trying to say, you know, we should all wear the mask, all do our part. But when you're sweating and, and bleeding and, you know what I mean, perspiring on other people, in, like, that's just, to me, that's like, okay, if one of those guys has it out there, you know, more than half the, the offense or more than half the defense is going to get it. Like, that – to me, I mean, I, I can't say I understand this virus in and out, but that doesn't make sense. So for, 
for them to say, oh, the potential exposure. I mean, I think everybody's at the risk of, I think going to the grocery store, you probably have, have potential exposure. That's kind of BS. So, I mean, if I was the Broncos, I'd be kind of upset. I mean, I get isolating uh, Driscoll and, and getting him out of there and not allowing him near the facility in, you know, 14 days or what have you. But for them to say, oh, the other quarterbacks are, are definitely exposed to it. I mean, I think you're exposed to it no matter what, you know, you, it's not like you live in your house the entire year. So right. I don't know. I don't know. That's my, my look on it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and just to touch on this from sort of a, a greater COVID perspective and kind of where, uh, you know, the league is uh, to me, there, there, in, there seems to be more of a spike in cases over the last two to three weeks than you know, the previous 10 or so weeks. And, and I, I guess it begs the question, like, do you think they go to, to more of a, a bubble within the playoffs or, you know, maybe they end the regular season a couple weeks early, add a playoff team to each conference to have eight teams, you know, go to the playoffs uh, from each conference, like I just said. So do you think they go and, and sort of adopt a similar model to Major League Baseball and, and go with a bubble for the playoffs? Or do you think they just kind of see if they can push back the season a little bit or, or you know, reschedule these games as, as best they can to, to fit everything within the regular season and then kind of take a step back and, and do the same thing for the playoffs? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I think Roger Goodell definitely is, is in the business to make money. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they would, exp, ex, you know, expand it to at least one one team in each conference. I'm not sure if they will, um, but, you know, really this season is so unpredictable and you can't really call anything off limits. So I could definitely see that being a possibility. I wouldn't be against that. I think the more sports, the better. I mean, we didn't get, we didn't get a preseason, which, you know, who really – who really cares about the preseason, but, you know, just to expand it and, and give you another game, another matchup, I, I say, why not? Just because um, sports haven't been the same. I know, I don't, I'm not sure in the state of New York, but uh, now, now the Steelers and the Eagles can't have uh, fans in, in, uh, you know, either stadium the rest of the season. So it, it is taking, even watching Monday night football last night, it, it still doesn't feel the same. And, you know, I couldn't be more tired of, of of COVID, but I, I understand the severity of it in, in some cases. So, um, you know, I, I say if I'm Roger Goodell, I'd say go for it. But then people are going to say, well, now you're putting players up even more risk. So you, you can't win either way, I say at this point. Yeah, def definitely, definitely can't win either way. I, you know, I think the current path they're going down. Um, if, if I, I honestly have no idea how the, how the Steelers and Ravens are playing tomorrow. I think the Ravens, uh, the last time I checked had over 18, 19, 20, maybe uh, players and staff testing positive. To, like, how does that not get to the rest of the building? I, I, that's beyond me. I have no idea. I guess I just don't know how, how COVID spreads as, as much as I thought I did. But to me, if 18 guys are testing positive, how does the rest of the team also not test positive? So maybe they're covering up a few cases here and there to be able to have that game on Wednesday. But We'll see how that goes. I think it's kind of interesting, a 3.30 game. Uh, NBC actually uh, kept the game at 3.30 because uh, they're lighting the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree um, in, in prime time tomorrow night. So I guess they think that gets more viewers than a uh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, Ravens game on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I, I did read that myself. I was kind of shocked. I mean, I get, um, you know, that's a that's a tradition. That's a Christmas tradition. That's, that's sacred, but – have to. Um, I, you know, I'll be at work tomorrow. I can't see a minute of that game. I, I, don't, know <laughs> how, I don't know how many people are going to be able to, to tune in, you, you know, that, that being if uh, a Steelers fan or a Ravens fan in that, 
or just a football fan in general. I mean, to put a game in the middle of the afternoon, if, if they played at like five o'clock, I don't know when the, the lighting of the Christmas tree, but if it was like five o'clock, I think they'd have a lot better uh, ratings and a lot better, you know, more success. But hey, I guess they, they know more than I do. And, and that's why they make the big bucks. But I, I just don't see that game being, uh, you know, a, t- a ton of people tuning in just because I don't think a ton of people will be able to. So. That's why they make the big bucks. Exactly right. It, going from from one lighting up to uh, to another, it's a fucking natural transition there. Uh, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes and and Tyreek Hill. Patty Mahomes was with 462 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Tyreek Hill had 217 yards in the first quarter. Uh, th- this offensive output is absolutely ridiculous. I think. Uh, we talked. We touched on the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago. If they don't repeat as Super Bowl champions, I will be absolutely shocked. Brady, obviously, uh, people are talking about him and Arians' offense and, and sort of him his relationship with Bruce Arians, and he's thrown more touchdowns, uh, sort of on his career average. Certainly more touchdowns than he has last year, but he's also on pace for more interceptions. So, uh, to me, it's it's obviously amazing to to see. The, the Buccaneers lose, uh, but but I think it's also more more about how potent uh, this Patriot or this Kansas City offense is. I mean, they had this one uh, this one cornerback for uh, the Buccaneers who, for some reason, they they had him played one on one against Tyreek Hill, and um, I, as I said, I absolutely went off in, in the first quarter for over 200 receiving yards. But what do you what do you think of this Chiefs team, and is is this more of an indictment against the Bucs, or is this more about um, just the Chiefs being able to dominate in so many different ways. Yeah, so and I, I did tune into this game late. Uh, I caught pretty much all the fourth quarter of this one. Um, you know, I think obviously you, you can't discredit Kansas City whatsoever. That, that team's they're definitely flowing in all cylinders. I'm almost, you know, this might sound crazy, but I'm almost getting tired of it already just because how they can just pretty much beat anybody at will. Um, I don't know. Call me crazy, but I'm, now I'm kind of rooting against them a little bit. Just this is like year three into like a ten-year dynasty. You're already getting tired of it. I I just I don't know, man. I, I like flex. I like when you know, like Green Bay is really good this year, and then Seattle, and then like I, I, that's what I look forward to. I don't, I don't like where it's just running the table. Um, I think honestly, I think the way Tampa Bay played, I I don't think was necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, I know they dropped the seven and five, but. For them to be competitive in that game, I think that shows that Tampa Bay isn't, you know, exactly a bad team at all by any means. I think, you know, if you look at, like, Tampa Bay versus Baltimore, I give Tampa Bay a better chance of beating Kansas City than, than a Baltimore at yeah, this point sure. or, or maybe even a Pittsburgh. I, I don't know how much Pittsburgh can, can keep up with. Uh, even though Pittsburgh's defense does look, you know, pretty much elite, um, you know, to, to stop – Kansas City for four quarters is a definitely a different task. Um, I want to. I can't remember the one. There was one. I, I know Oakland beat them early in the season, but um, you know, I, I think you know the, the Buccaneers. If I'm the Buccaneers coming away from this, you know, losing my three points, and and really Mahomes had to, to drive them down the field to, to ice the game basically at the end. Um, you know, I don't look at that as a horrible thing. I. You know, seven and five isn't isn't outstanding, but you know you kept up with the best offense in football. I mean, you have Brady at what 42, 43 years old. Um, you know, I, I think you know definitely not the Brady of you know five, three, four, five years ago, but right. um, still impressive in his own right. I, I definitely don't discredit him. Um, 
you're not as potent, but they, they kept up. And, and the way I look at that game, it, it was competitive. It was a fun to watch fourth quarter, at least when you know, I got to see. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely I look for Tampa Bay to, to do well the rest of the season. I don't know if they're catching the Saints for the division, but um, yeah, it, it was entertaining. And, and, you know, Mahomes is Mahomes these days. Mahomes is Mahomes. Uh, yeah, they're my pick to to win the Super Bowl. I'd be shocked if they, if they do. I mean, it, at at the minimum, I think they'll absolutely get to the AFC Championship game. I think they could absolutely steamroll uh, the Steelers right now, even though uh, the Steelers are one game ahead ahead in the standings. But that that'll be it tonight, folks. I'll, we'll we'll end you sort of with with a uh, sort of a look ahead to next week and uh, talk about the opponents for the Jets and Eagles. The Jets. I'll start off quick. Have the Las Vegas Raiders, our boy Derek Carr, uh, put up an absolute stinker against the Falcons last week. Uh, this is an interesting stat. Uh, the 2019 Raiders were entering week 12 at 6-4. and four. They lost to the Jets 34-3. to three. Uh, The 2020 Raiders entering week 12 at 6-4 and four, lose 43-6 to six to the Falcons. So uh, I'm hoping um, that the Oakland Raiders – or the Las Vegas Raiders, I should say, got out there clunker game uh, ahead of the Jets and hopefully they bounce back and are motivated to, to win this game and get get back on the right side of the playoff chase here. Uh, we, we told you time and time again, folks, no matter how high Derek Carr got, um, the fall down from grace, fall back to earth is always going to be as glorious as the rise <laughs> was. Um, you just had to wait long enough. Uh, it, it, it's shocking to me that this team can fucking beat the Chiefs in one game, play them very close in a second game and lose 43-6 to six, uh, to the Atlanta Falcons. That's just what you love about Derek Carr, what you hate about Derek Carr, what you get in the bona fide scrub. But uh, I fully expect the Jets to lose. They do play at home, so uh, the Raiders have to travel across the country. But uh, that won't matter because they'll get probably shit-stomped and we'll be on 12. So uh, it'll be obviously good for the tank. But uh, who do the Eagles have, Aaron, and what can, what can that we expect and watch the Eagles this weekend. Yeah, so it gets it goes from bad to worst. I, in my opinion, I think Green Bay is going to put up monster numbers on this on this defense. I don't think I don't think this defense can, can hold together two weeks in a row. I don't have confidence in that. Um, it's weird if you remember back to last season. I think they went to Green Bay on a Monday night and upset the Packers. It really came down to the last play. And Rodgers missed, missed kind of like an open receiver, which was great to see. I, I kind of root against Aaron Rodgers at times. Uh, <laughs> I respect his game, but he, I just think he's kind of arrogant. So, um, at the end of the day, uh, I don't see the Eagles going to Lambeau. Um, probably going to be cold weather out there, as it usually is this time of year. Um, being able to, to pass the ball effectively, once again, I think Wentz is going to struggle. I think this is a game you have to put Jalen Hurts in and see – some some type of you know not productivity but but just see what he's got see what he can bring to the table so I don't see him winning this game I, I saw this game coming up on the schedule earlier in the season I thought this would be a, uh what you know I think they get stomped in this one um yeah that's just really all I have to say it's not gonna probably not gonna be pretty I don't have high expectations I had higher expectations for the Seattle game and, and you saw how that turned out so yeah, what well, potential Jalen Hurts teaser this weekend. That's pretty juicy, folks. Uh, tune in to both the Jets and Eagles. Actually, maybe not. Maybe tune in to some other football games. But we'll certainly be tuning in to our, to our teams, unfortunately, and uh, have a full breakdown for you, obviously, of course, uh, as we always do. But, Aaron, why don't, you, why don't you take us home here and close us out? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, always grateful for everybody that tunes in. We, we try and bring you some, some exciting segments. I mean, obviously, we're a little biased. Maybe we'll get away from that as the season progresses, as, you know, both our teams probably will be on the outside looking in on, on a playoff scenario. So, um, yeah, just look forward to, to what's going to happen the rest of the way. And hopefully COVID at least, you know, chills out for a little bit. Love it. Take us home.